Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Well, hello, Jenny, Jenny from the block. <laughs> you know, it's such a Jenny from the block, but we got to say Jenny from the bog. Yes, Jenny from the bog today. We are I'm very Jenny excited. Bog today. <laughs> are we so excited? I can't tell you. I really am excited about today. We have three of my favorite people on. We're going to start at one of my favorite places talking about one of my favorite things. One of my first favorite sips. Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice Cocktail. Then we're going to go to a chef who won the Iron Chef and who is um, got her own ghost kitchen. What do you mean Iron Chef? Well... She won Iron Chef Tucson. She's the first female to ever win Iron Chef. And mm. and and oh, you mean like a local, a local, not like Carrie Simon Iron Chef or Kat Cora. You mean local Iron Chef? It's 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 the derivative of that. Yes. And okay. then we're going to visit one of my all-time favorite people. And if you don't know him and love him, you're going to. His name is Daniel Singer, and he has a company called Filthy Foods. And mm. Filthy Foods make one of my all-time favorite things: filthy cherries. Filthy dark mm. cherries that are the most sophisticated cocktail garnishes anywhere. And if Let's you don't not know, talk about cherries, I feel like we're cheating on our first guest. I know, but although he and, may have a cherry juice, I, I don't know. We'll have to find out. I want to tell you, I think that in the course of my cranberry, um, well, we didn't say what it was yet. Now you're you just jumped into cranberry without announcing what we've got going. You just yes, spoiler alert. I wish I had a banner for spoiler. No, this is this thing. So I grew up in New England. And when I was young, I want to prelude our guest. We're going to bring him on in this glass. I don't know if you can tell the scale, but it's actually a, a cordial glass. It's actually very small. And when I was young, three, four years old, we were given small cordial glasses of ocean spray cranberry juice cocktail. And it was it was a treat, and it was one of the hallmarks to indicate that this was a special meal. And today we are going to have a very special show because we have uh, the uh, global chief of the Ocean Spray Organization, which is rooted in the cranberry operations in New England, but is now truly a global enterprise, uh, joining us today. And um, I am absolutely thrilled that we're going to visit the bogs if you let's will. let's go to the bog and take, the bog. and here we go right to the bog hey hi hey guys we're talking with uh, ocean sprays global chief innovation officer rizal hamdala and uh i have to say what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our uh show and to have a chance to uh celebrate the glorious cranberry oh thank Isn't you so much pleased to be mine it's a superfood. It is. It's a superfruit. So 
yeah, it's really special to work with amazing company and amazing product and, and excited to actually bring more to you guys and to the consumer around the world. People might only traditionally think of Ocean Spray as the cranberry sauce or cranberry jelly we served at Thanksgiving time and certainly has its roots in that tradition. But it is a far more uh, important product uh, for our global uh, connoisseurship. Certainly the New England economy was rooted in its success, but it's got a much bigger role not only as a superfood, but in, in these days, it's always had a role in innovation. And that's why we're so particularly thrilled to have you on as the innovative officer for the corporation. Uh, people might not realize it is such an innovative history, uh, but let's go back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about the Ocean Spray story, if you will. Yeah, I mean, Ocean Spray has been long enough in the market and almost 90 years um, in the next year. So very excited about that. Um, so we are, you know, the pioneer within um, consumer product with uh, leveraging our core ingredients, which is um, uh, cranberries. And our company is a co-op owned by growers and farmers, which is, you know, uh, very special, special for me, special for our employees. And I hope it feels special for you guys as well as part of our consumer because it means a lot for our farmers. It means a lot for our growers when you guys buy our products and you really enjoy every product that we created. Um, we're excited because um, innovation is at the center of our company. Even when we started with cranberry juice and moved to sauce, we were the, the first one came in the market with all of this and then moved with the dried fruit, uh, like, you know, the, uh, the cranberries uh, dried fruit. It's something that the market was not yet there at the time and we started it so and and with that um as a proof point we continue believe and invest behind innovation to to hopefully we can be with you guys and with our next generation in the next 90 years right so we already here for 90 years we want like to continue for another 90 years or even more so so because of that i mean uh, myself leading the innovation R&D in the organization is responsible to take Ocean Spray to the next journey. And, and this is just the beginning. Uh, we have a lot of great things happening and cooking in our kitchen. Um, and <laughs> excited to share with you guys what we have, but also excited to, you know, uh, sharing what's coming next. Well, Michael, one of the really cool things about having, I mean, I could go in a hundred different directions here, but one of the things I first want to talk about is the idea of cooperative. You know, we're in a time when the headlines state we're all in this together. And when it comes to Ocean Spray and the cranberry growers, um, they truly were all in this together before anybody even understood that concept. The idea of a co-op is not new, uh, but certainly most uh, people may not know that Ocean Spray is in fact a co-op. There are now many co-ops. It's become more of the normative model for an organization of growers. And I think that sort of places it squarely in the perfect model for these times. And as a model, what do you, what do you have to share with us and teach us about bringing that co-op model to more 
businesses and more enterprises and more projects. What have you learned and what can you teach us about the co-op model? Yeah, I think uh, the word teach probably, you know, is a little bit <laughs> uh, very different, if you will. I'm not going to preach or teach anyone here, but I think I'm just going to go with the idea of, um, you know, business in general and how co-op model is very unique and provide returns back to the growers and the farmer and 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 the idea behind farmers and growers specifically let's take a step back in terms of mentality um, when we talk about farmers what comes in our mind do it well, not really farms yeah family focus on family focus on sustainability thinking about farms impact environments towards their uh you know uh farms and all this yes and 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 also yeah it's a lot of good things right so that's why we we're so close with the idea of farmers because in the end this is people that you know they work hard every day to make it happen so really hard work yes and 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 one thing throughout this environment of COVID 19 one thing that we take a step back and reframe it into a very different ways. For example, farmers is farmers. This is the community. But in the same time, do you realize you guys, myself and people that listening today or see us, you guys have that values of farmers. Whatever you do, you help people to you know, survive within these tough times, your small contribution, you're doing something. That's the value of farmers, like doing it and make it happen. They don't really talk about, they don't talk too much, they don't, you know, argue too much, they just do it. So so that's something that I'm so proud of um, as an employee of Ocean Spray because that's the mentality that we want to bring to uh, our products and our next generations as well. Yeah, let's Let's find out what he does on a daily basis, right? Like, obviously, it's more than cranberries, and he's not in the bog with one of those outfits on. You're, when I come, do I get to wear one of those outfits? Do I get yes, to put on the yes. Okay. yes, and please take photos, okay? I'm going to do tons of photos. But let's. What, but what do you do on a daily basis? Like, as, as Global Chief Innovation Officer, what, is that, what does that mean to our viewers? Like, what is that? And especially yeah. people that are looking for occupations, right? That sounds like a neat job. Like, I want that job. <laughs> Maybe yes. that's my job. I'm the chief innovation officer for Food and Beverage Magazine. Yeah, again, you can always have it, right? So why not? So I think from the title, from the job, hopefully that's kind of descriptive enough that in a very simple way, I will say that my job is to help the company and the organization to think about what the future of our product innovation looks like. And um People think innovation is easy. It's not. It is hard. And we will fail. Because if you not fail, you're not innovating. All these great innovators' lifetime, they failed. They tried multiple times, and then they faced some failures. They faced some challenges, and they're not giving up. They'll come back and take the learning and do it again differently. That's what innovation is in ocean spray and i'm leading these passionate people that really try to crack the code and ready to fail and continuously working on so so yeah so that's kind of my day-to-day job if you will and 
And since I joined the company for the past 12 months, I'm very happy with the team. They were able to launch few innovation very quickly and rapidly. For example, we launched Brew last January. So if you guys go to your store, I'm gonna uh, give an example like Target. For example, you go to Target, find Brew, and I have it with me here next to me. This is pretty much like uh, cranberry with cold brew coffee, which is tastes so good. <laughs> and you know, it's already in the market and the team did it on within six months time only. If it's successful, wow. it will continue. If it's not successful, great. We'll move on and we'll take the learning from here and come up with something else. I, so, I, I, I wish we got a care package, Jennifer. So <laughs> now I have to go and I have to fight COVID-19 to go get Ocean Spray Brew. I, I will take target. a note, well, I can see you at the target. Listen, this is so fascinating to me. Riza, I got to ask you the question about uh, this notion of innovation. I, I believe that innovators innovate and it's this impulse of in, inspiration they're so tightly and in, in, um, intricately uh, woven together the notion of inspiration and innovation because because for something to be truly innovative it has to have come in a very novel and new way from some source of inspiration would you talk a little bit about the notion of innovation to me it's it's one of the family of creativity. And I'd love to learn about how you think about and approach the sort of practice and discipline of both innovation and allowing yourself the inspiration for innovation to occur. Yeah. So great and fantastic question, because that's the fundamentals of innovation, which is aspiration. You have to be inspired. You have to know what the world may look like. To think about what the world may look like, you need some imagination. Not everybody can do that. So you have to start thinking about three years from now, what the world will look like with the whole COVID-19. Think about, visualize how we go out to grocery, how we leave our home, how we interact with family and friends. Three years from now will be different. If you start imagining that, that's the first critical elements when you can be an innovator. To that, sometimes we forget. Dreams can come true when we try to make it more relevant, right? So when we are in the business world, make sure we have some business viability. Can this is actually working? Can we actually, uh, can consumer wants this and buy this? There is a demand behind it. And how are we gonna price it? You know, make sense or not? And something like that. And then second is, can we make it? The problem, sometimes we have a great idea, but we know that we don't know how to make it. Or there is no technology available today, but we're still able to learn from initial technology and try to find a way to do it. So, so these are the key elements that we have to tie in together, not only the aspiration, but also with other things. And this is becoming a powerful innovation. What's so cool is this idea when you think about someone having the idea bringing it to the board and saying, I know we may be the number one brand when it comes to canned cranberry sauce or cranberry jelly, <laughs> but I have this crazy idea that if you take our cranberries and you turn them into dried fruit, just like raisins, mm -hmm. people will love them. Now you can't go out and prove what the market demand for that is because they don't exist yet. Correct. 
can't go out and inspire chefs because they can't imagine what they taste like yet. And you can't prove that you're going to be successful with it because people don't know yet. And yet when you taste the first impulse-inspired dried cranberry, shazam. Yes. Can, can I say something? Go for it. I, I may be wrong, but I'm under... <laughs> Stop. I'm under the impression they're called craisins. Now, I may be wrong and crazy. Actually, it's yes. <laughs> I think they're called craisins, and I want my co-host, Jennifer, to understand it is called a craisin, not a dried cranberry. Am I You're Mr. right. Mr. Hamdallah, am I correct in the matter? Yes, you are. <laughs> are they prunes funny. or dried plums? So we, no, we, I know. We, crazy. yeah, yeah, there are multiples, and we do have craisins, which is cranberry base, if if that makes sense. Yes. So, but you have a good point. Sometimes it's all about creating something that consumer don't see the needs yet, right? right? So, for example, I'm gonna show you something. We just test this in the market two months ago. Tada! Oh, this is called Dably. The Dably is a new brand that we're testing now. If you can read this, we call it Sunny Offense Anti-Aging. So they have it in shot. They also have in um, uh, gummies. And really, Wait, a protection gummies, for your you skin, get, gummies. Yeah. Ocean Spray now has gummies to keep yeah, you young to look testing. like Rezal. <laughs> to look like him. This is what happens. This man, by the way, was there at the, at the beginning of the corporation 90-something years ago. And look how good he looks from the Ocean Spray. That's <laughs> I need a case of Dabley. It's all because of Dabley. <laughs> no, but, but the point is, we're testing a sun care product that you can eat. People That's like, exactly. when like, what? Yeah. Is that even real? Yes, we're testing this. We don't know whether this is going to be successful or not. And we don't even know whether the demand is there. But when we try to connect or the signal, yeah. somehow there is a potential need within it. So... So our team committed to always bring something that disruptive to the market. Oh, there's the word, Jennifer. Oh. Now, now, is your team consist of chefs as well? Like, what do, yes, what we do have chefs. Okay. Yeah, so we have full R&D team from, you know, uh, engineering to product scientists um, to uh, process engineering, you name it. We have all of them. We also have culinary team. We just built culinary team in the past few months. We have, I believe, three people for now, and I'm sure and, it will and be. By the way, by the way, one of my family friends uh, is on your team, Irene Lee from May May Restaurant. Wow, look uh, at so that. I, so Irene should know what that is then, Jennifer. So, right? Irene, have you do you know what a crazy is? Irene, my our our parents were very close friends. We grew up together as very close family friends. And what's so funny, all our parents are physicians and none of us are in the medicine world. Now we're all in the food world. But in fact, we now know that the food world is like the world of medicine. So even though we didn't go to medical school and everyone was disappointed, we're, you know, doing our thing and yeah. we're doing it in ways that really are delicious. And we're so proud of her for her James Beard nomination this oh, year. Awesome. Amazing things. But I saw pictures of her by the way. In, 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 the, in the cranberry bogs. And then we should also point out that our friend who was on with us yesterday, Elizabeth Blau from Blau and Associates, 
uh, has in her honey salt cookbook pictures of her in the cranberry box. I she's remember been, Elizabeth in the box. Summers on Cape Cod. Um, and before we jump into it, we should remind everybody that cranberries are grown in a very unique place called a bog. They don't grow wet per se, but they're harvested wet. And a bog is kind of a, a funny thing. Um, and it's sort of the really pivotal point in understanding the farming process and how important the ecology and the yes. earth and the water is to the life of the product. And it's essential to what's going on there. Um, but yeah, no, you've got incredible people working with you and you know, that's what, that's where the innovation, how do the innovators and team members, your chefs and your advisory board members and, and your chefs and writers and cookbook authors like Annie Cops and everybody, how do they collaborate with you to form these um, moments of inspiration? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we have a pretty good size of team um, and from technical expert like R&D, culinary expert like chef, innovators. We have corporate uh, communication and partnership that working along the way and marketing and innovation team. So we work very close to each other and work very collaboratively and work with external parties in creating different type of activities, programs, whether it's different type of uh, recipes or tapping into a new trend or something. This is not one person job or not one function right. job. It's all effort as a big function, if that makes sense. And and I think um, we are committed um, as a company, not only coming from innovation, but from our base business to continuously partnering with chefs because we know how important chef is uh, within our community and bringing that um, experience to market differently, right? Because sometimes we know how to do it the way we're doing it, but then chefs are creative people. I love chefs, and they can take it into a very different level. That you haven't you met enough like... chefs, then you haven't met enough. Chefs, then. <laughs> you haven't been back in the kitchen during yeah. a during a uh, rush. <laughs> Michael, what Rival's saying is so true. I was uh, talking with my friend Jose Andres one time at his um, Cafe Atlantico mini bar. And he said, you know, Jennifer, the great food moment was not when the chef took the, the quesadilla and added lobster and avocado to it. He said, no, the great food moment was when some chef took tortilla and cheese and made quesadilla for the first time. He said, you have to understand in that moment that there was something sort of revolutionary that had you know, happened that took these really unrelated things and made something new that did become something. It's Jennifer, not that reminds me. That reminds me of when I was talking to my great friend, Wolfgang Puck, sitting at his bar at his Spago restaurant. And he said, you know, Michael, when I put the pizza and the smoked salmon on with the cream cheese and the scan and the capers, mixing the pizza with the almost with the bagel on a Sunday morning, that was the moment. This is what we you know, do. You made we, your we, point. We, up, we, we upstage each other. She's got Andrea's ace. I've got Wolfgang Puck. No, Go you ahead, know what? Do I sound do I sound that douchey when I say it? I am so Whoa! sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't want really to sound like that. I'm not that Jennifer, person. that language belongs in a bog. No. Right I'm sorry. I don't that mean belongs to sound in a bog. Like that. I don't mean I don't mean to I didn't mean to sound like that. What I'm what I'm trying to establish is that there are these great moments that we've been 
privileged to speak to people who innovate. And clearly we're talking with someone who is doing that very thing, asking the question, can this product reimagine what it is to perform a specific protection for the skin in a way no one's ever imagined before? I love that idea. Yeah, we know chefs, on a serious note, there's a lot of chefs, I'll say David Burke right now. There are some innovative chefs out there that go to the end. And Sam Hazen. Sam Hazen is underrated for people, but he is so innovative, right, these guys. And and, and these are our friends, friends of the magazine. We would love to get involved as a magazine. Yeah, but Irene Irene Lee's doing it too. I mean, that's part of what it means, I think, to be a chef today. I mean, what does it mean to be in, in... in corporate America today, in a role of innovator and innovation uh, officer, I-, I would imagine it's a real challenge. It is. I mean, it's not an easy job for sure, right? So people are always like, are you nervous doing this? I mean, yeah, because it's all unknown. I have no idea like how that will look like. The same thing like Chef, when you're connecting all the dots and suddenly like, ta-da, it's creating a new recipe that you just never found before. So Give us so, some but- secrets, Rezal. <laughs> give us some secrets. Well, I think the secret is you have to feel comfortable with the unknown. And you wow. thrive with the unknown. If you're really excited about this is dark and I'm enjoying the darkness because then I will find something I'm going to just deal with it, right? And if you really enjoy it, you're in the right job. But if you're not enjoying it, you need to know exactly what you're going to do, process. Uh, you're just not the right person for the job. So so I hope that helps like being friendly and comfortable with the unknown. That's kind of my way of doing. You have how to feel often, that How often does does the corporate, and, and I know Ocean Spray is um, is a really innovative company with an innovative history, but in almost all areas, if you've had success, people want you to bring what you've done before, do it a little bit differently to try and guarantee that you'll replicate the success. What's the difference between that and true innovation? How do you have the confidence to let go of a past success for the sake of the risk of pure innovation in the future? Don't fall in love. With the idea? With the idea. Oh, that's what I do in business. You know what? <laughs> when you're too vested, right? Yeah. You have to be able to turn, you have to be able to walk away, right? Yes. And exactly. If you, if you can't walk away from something, even, even like a real estate, anything, anything you get involved with, it could be a love affair with somebody, right? You fall in love yeah. with somebody. You're you're done, right? Yes, if you cannot exactly. walk away, you are even done. if it and is successful. Will... If it's successful, yes. great. Yes. Fantastic. But if you are an inventor, if you're an innovator, you want to create something else. You cannot stick with the same idea, you know, because then you will live in your comfort zone and you need to innovate yourself. You need to challenge yourself and and leaving your status quo and challenge it and move to a new environment. And that's not easy. And the best way I'm explaining it to my team is don't have a pet project. Don't ever fall in love. Actually, my mom told me about this. Because if you <laughs> give yourself 2-3% security, because when you fall in love to anything, you're stuck. If something happened, bad things happen in life, then you cannot move on. And that's why I'm taking it to my job as well in terms of innovation. If it's successful, perfect, great. Then move on. We have another 
uh, talents know, coming in. It's funny you say this because um, I just wrote a book called Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success, right? So within the book, I discuss this. Ex- people, restaurateurs and chefs fall in love with a dish, right? And they want it on the menu no matter what. And that dish could be too expensive or no one else will like it, right? Like maybe yes. it's maybe it's your mo- grandma's recipe and you love the way she makes it. But everyone else is like, dude, are you serious, right? But they fall in, right? They fall in so much in love with this that they can't, um, they can't get rid of it. So they always have, and it's not successful. And they yes. don't know why. Right. That's, exactly. the, that's the book, by the way. I want you to. Oh, know that's, that's really cool. So we'll get you a copy of that one day. Hey, Roger, I want to. Is innovation like art? Is innovation mm. an art form? Innovation is a combination of art and science. Okay. That's incredible. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not about an or it's about an end. Mm-hmm. Because when you create, like, I'm using this example again, right? When you, like, wow, protecting your skin and you can actually drink it, you need to back up by science. If you just, like, BSing people, you will they will find out so quickly. <laughs> and then in the end, our government will also be the one, like, hey, 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 you're not doing what you need to do. You make, uh, make up something for our consumers. So that's why it's a combination of both. So he's saying, Jennifer, which is what we always say about success, right? What is the what percentage of of uh, preparation and what percentage of perspiration, right? Like you're prepared. They know how to become successful, but they've got to put the time in to become successful, right? Yeah. Nothing happens overnight. I mean, I you know how many products? What secret products are you working on right now that we don't want? We won't tell anybody. We will not tell a soul. <laughs> Oh, that is so funny. But you know what? I will probably just give you guys a hint because it will yes. be released next week. Next um, week. <laughs> so this, as, is, this is technically a scoop, and a scoop in a bog <laughs> is one of those wooden rakes that you actually scoop up those berries with. Is yes. that true? Is yeah, it true? it's it's a scoop. Well, pretty is, much. Is that a yeah. scoop right there? <laughs> yeah. Is that a, are that a bunch of guys with scoops? Yes, pretty much. But anyhow, so um the space that we are going to disrupt is mental wellness. Oh. As we all aware, this is very critical for, you know, a lot of us and we probably need it. I need it. You know, uh, a lot of stress. <laughs> Everybody raise hand, right? So uh, we are going to launch a new or testing a new product um, next week in uh, one of the state. I think it's a state is Colorado. You probably can start figure out why it's in Colorado because mm. we're going to tax with the emerging ingredients that oh. <laughs> So we're entering the I same just, space. And that's I just got that. Two days ago. Yeah. You so, see this? This is the CBD I just got from Bob Marley's kids. <laughs> so so stay tuned. Uh, we'll get you guys more information next week, okay? That's well, exciting. I'm in Arizona, and I'd love to be on your panel because my uh, – Clearly, my 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 mental capacity is tested by by this by by this guy over well, here. Well, hopefully, we can have we can have you back on, and we can talk about more innovation and more fun things after this COVID, and when life gets back to more normal. Maybe even have you on with some of your chefs. Yeah, right? that would be great. Of, because our chefs want to know what kind of creativity and what they can do. Maybe maybe we don't even know. You know, Crazins was the you know those poor California grapes. 
I don't know if you ever remember those guys, but you know, they don't sing anymore because you guys came out <laughs> and what you guys did with them. Oh my god, Michael, you're so funny. <laughs> so we are gonna stay in can we stay in contact with them, of Jennifer? Course. And- Yes, I, I hope so. I hope so. Hey, listen, before we let you go, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask how, as the global chief innovation officer, when the world is forced to pivot because of COVID-19, how that immediately impacts your assignment, if you will. Is your is your product development cycle such that you could come up with something to address this, or do they shift your talents and 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 energies to how to just get through this period of time most effectively what have you all been charged with doing relative to this yeah so it's funny you ask that question because sometimes the choice is about stop doing what we're doing stay focused on operational and whatsoever meanwhile our company have chosen to do both so we have our operational team continuously providing products to the store. We were so happy with what they have been doing amazingly. Our customers love it. We have a great service level. That's why you guys can still get our products in on shelf. But in the same time, we know there will be something changing 18 months from now. We're not going to give it up or wait until later. We do it today. So we're continuously innovating and pivoting to something different. For example, the test or the launch that we're going to do next week uh, in Colorado, initially we partnered with the key customers, like uh, one of the big ones actually in the region. But due to COVID-19, we have to adjust. So now we're going to go with e-commerce and digital launch instead of brick and mortar. And if the team is not set up with agility, this won't happen. But our team has been set up in the past one year to really lift the mantle of agility. Agility is in the testing model now. If you just be asking of the word agility, you're not gonna survive. But if you leave the agility to the accent of your day to day, you'll be okay. And that notion of um, nimble, within the context of making it possible for your mind to wander. You could make the argument that when we are all housebound, when we're all working from home, when we're not as distracted by things as we were, when we were racing around, you could argue that we've had the gift of the moment in which we let our mind wander. Yes. In which the true inspiration can come. Totally. Oh, Jennifer, that was romantic. That was like watching a, a, a like a ballet, the way you just said that. Like, like listening to a symphony. He teases me all the time. <laughs> you guys are funny. Oh my god! I wanted to put my I wanted to put my symphony glasses on. And standing ovation, right? Yes, and a standing ovation. <laughs> very well, very well. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one thing. When we become more sophisticated and we begin to appreciate the dualities and the flavors that we love, that when we talk about bitter, sour, salty, and sweet, all those components that make up satisfaction in everything we drink and we eat. And did you know that if any one bite or sip gives us more of each of those elements, sour, sweet, bitter, salty, sour, sweet, Mm the more pleasure and satisfaction we will derive from it. You want to know why this company's been around for 90 years and these products are so beloved? Because 
the sweet and sour combination, that tart sweetness, that unique, remarkable flavor of the cranberry juice cocktail was for many of us that first introduction to the sour-sweet combination. And as the food world gets really sophisticated and it just begins to learn about so many things from global cultures and global cuisines, we come back to that same fundamentals that got us here with the happiness that we sip with when we get a glass of our cranberry juice cocktail. We want to thank our guest, Global Chief Innovation Officer, Rizal Hamdala from Ocean Spray. I'm going to toast you with my glass. Thank you. Thank you. I'm toasting you with another brand that we just launched. <laughs> I want a box. <laughs> I want an ocean spray box by next week over here. No, no, no. All right. Tell us what that is. We can't now that's such a cheese. Yeah, so we just launched this a few weeks ago in direct to consumer. So you can go to atokawellness.com. This is our herbal um blended products uh, made with very thoughtful ingredients um, and designed by herbalists. And we have three different SKUs, or calm blend, well blend, and balanced blend. Um, it, it's amazing taste with great functional benefits. So uh, try it out at tokawellness.com. Again, this is one of the example the team change it during COVID and then go to market. By the way, we actually partner with Ariana Huffington. Oh, with, wow. if, yeah, we if we buy if uh, for any purchase, actually before we actually create this program, we provide Atoka in uh, for first responders in New York, DC, and some other cities. Okay. Um, we provide this in the hotel room so they can get some support from nice. nutrition perspective. So, so, so yeah. Uh, Raza, what are you going to prescribe for Michael? Um, you know what? I, I do care about you, so well blend probably best. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, my friend. Thank uh, you. We want to have you, you back so much soon for having me and awesome spray. We, Appreciate it. Of course, we love you. Come Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Bye bye. Oh, I love so, him. I love him. Love him. Fun, nice guy. But you, you know what? The it's smart. Not, so it's not surprising. That company has been that excitingly innovative for as long as I can remember. But I'll tell you, listen to him speak, right? He speaks like a prophet. Did you notice that? It's like, I can't wait for his book to come out. I want to read know, it. Right? You know, so, it's like Sun Tzu of the, G, of the CPG world. I want to I read this. We've got so many people backstage, Jennifer, and okay. I don't know what to do because I just don't know what to do. I've got, I've got a filthy guy. I've got a chef. I don't know what to do. We're going to segue in and we're going to bring them in uh, one, two punch. First of all, we're going to segue with uh, Chef um, Wendy Gote is going to be with us, our Iron Chef. But I feel the need to keep going with that sour sweet. So we're going to we're going to bring Chef Wendy on and we're going to bring Chef um, Wendy Gautier, uh from Chef Chic. She's uh, operating a ghost restaurant. And she looks like she had a golden crystal ball. But we're also going to bring in um, Daniel Singer from Filthy Foods. And I think it's just so appropriate. Let's just make this a big party. Daniel's been a friend of mine a long time. And the reason he's such an apropos fit right now is because he's an innovator. Wendy's an innovator. They have both done something extraordinary. And I can't segue 
pass the conversation of innovation with Rizal and choose one or the other. They're like my beautiful children. I love them both. And each of them in their own right has gone successfully through innovation that makes them look like geniuses for getting into something that everybody else said they couldn't or shouldn't do. I welcome them both. Filthy Daniel Singer, welcome. Jennifer, lovely to see you, darling. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Michael, listen nice to, to listen to that. Who knew that was coming out Who of his knew, mouth? Who right? Exactly. Chef Wendy, nice to see you as well. Nice Pleasure to see to you. Be with you all and Chef time. Wendy Gautier has not only got a crystal ball, but she has a will and knife of iron. She was the first winner, a female chef of the Iron Chef Tucson. People said it couldn't be done. She proved everyone wrong. And in the ballroom that night, when I could feel, feel it in the air, uh, I looked at her and I said, I think it's your night. And she said, I think I know it is too. But that's because I've watched her, like Daniel, do something extraordinary and simple and hard all at the same time for years. You're both innovators, each in a different category. But in the role of innovator, you have a very similar philosophy and approach Wendy, I'm going to go to you first because you've taken the idea of turning your catering and, and chef business into essentially uh, a ghost restaurant. And of course, that was a term that none of us knew before COVID-19. You opened what is essentially a ghost restaurant less than six months ago, and now you look like a genius for doing it. You've innovated what it meant to have a fast, casual family restaurant uh, talk a little bit about that idea of innovation and that commitment that you've had to the idea of it for a while. Um, you know, we we always wanted to do catering and do things like this. And it was something that we had. I've been in business for almost 20 years now. And we have such a following and such a good clientele that people wanted meals more readily accessible instead of having to order packages or pre-order. So we really wanted to get something that was more accessible and, and having a uh, easier way for them to come in and just get stuff. So that's kind of how the process started. Uh, and then when we opened this, <clears throat> who knew that this is where <laughs> we were all going to end up. Uh, so it's, it's definitely been, we've been on the beginning curve of, of how to handle all this for sure. So talk a little bit about the kind of operation that you're running now. You're a chef, you're, you're classically trained, brilliantly talented. You have your time in corporate chefdom. You've had your time in entrepreneurship, uh, but what are you doing now that really is super innovative? I think for us, uh, you know, one of the things I tell people they need to know, there's a few different couple things you need to think about. If you're a Mexican restaurant, don't start making lasagnas. Focus on what you do and what your clientele expects from you. That's really key. Um, you know, and start knowing who your client is. Uh, you know, we have certain clients that love our fusion food, and then we have clients that love comfort food. And we really had to listen a lot the last few months about which direction everybody wanted to go. I think society has dictated with everything going on, more people wanted comfort foods. So we started kind of making more of our comfort foods and that helped a lot. And, but we listened to our clients and asked for feedback, whether it was, you know, and we educated them too. It's not, oh, I want a single little TV dinner, so to speak, to go. Uh, but that's more expensive for us to put together because there's more packaging. There's more versus a family four pack in a bigger container that they can break down themselves. So, you know, there's different things and you have to go back and forth and you have to listen, but you know, what makes you different from all the other restaurants that are trying to do 
uh, takeout and, you know, things like that. Uh, and one of the things that makes us different besides doing so many different things is we also do, you know, if you're having a small dinner party, especially now that people are starting to come out and it's graduation time here in Arizona, if they're having a small dinner party, we'll deliver all the food to your house, steak dinner, all the dessert, everything garnished gorgeously so that you can have a dinner in your home with your family and still celebrate what we all want to do, which is, you know, celebrating life. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you uh, on that point of innovation and in terms of this idea of ghost restaurant and you are essentially a restaurant that's just order the food and come and get it or a grab and go. Did you meet a lot of resistance from people saying that that's not what a restaurant is? Did you get a lot of pushback from people? Uh, yeah, we did. We got some. And then we had a lot of people who really understood why we were doing it. You know, I, I didn't, I think a lot of restaurants, even before this happened, started making smaller dining rooms and smaller, you know, less overhead. So some people understood a lot of why I wanted to do it that way. But uh, yes, of course, there's always going to be the, the naysayers in the world. Yeah. I'm going to turn now to somebody who must have met a little bit of resistance in spite of the fact that his products are irresistibly delicious. Daniel Singer started Filthy Foods, which is the world's premier drink and cocktail garnishing uh, company. Um, and in the short amount of time that the company has been around, they have truly innovated the entirety of the category. Uh, he joins us now from Filthy Headquarters. Um, how much pushback did you get at the beginning? You know, it's an interesting thing. I think our biggest enemy is apathy. You know, people really care about the details or they don't. And I think it's the details really what defines us. And when we started the company, the economy was in a particularly bad place. And so hospitality was very conscious about giving the guest, because of the recession at that point, 2007, 2008, uh, the guest the best possible experience. And so once you've gone through the broad strokes and all of the things, uh, that everybody would expect. It's really the details that's going to differentiate you from everybody else down the street. And I think people were very grateful that um, consumers and guests were coming in and they wanted to elevate their experience by being a little bit more focused in the details. So the people that were at the forefront of the industry that wanted to take pride in what they were doing, they immediately embraced us. And luckily they told their friends, you know, we, we built this business because bartenders told bartenders. And my brother and I, you know, spent two years looking at hundreds of varieties of olives. Uh, we naturally cure them over four months instead of four days with chemicals. And we built the business out at the back of our cars and on subway trains in New York and going from bar to bar. And it was really the embracing that we got from the hospitality industry who wanted to give guests the best experience that we became part of the story they were telling with their drinks. So Listen, um, what year yeah. was the first year that you started? Because when you started, li quite literally, the the mixology i'll use that word but the cocktail boom that we currently have was really in its very beginning stages we were right. barely past a hundred cocktail geeks in a room at tales of the cocktail right. you, you still couldn't go anywhere in any city in north america and and get a, a great negroni without having to tell people what went into it these were early days when there were just a handful of those really pioneering bars that again in their innovation saying you know this is going to be a new golden age of cocktails and people would say oh poo poo we drink beer and wine that's right we, we had a lot of pushback generally 
that time was not a time where like, oh, you know what we really need is better olives. I mean, who was saying we need better olives? Well, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, you have a lot of really awful, dangerous ideas, don't you? <laughs> right. I mean, just that's what our last guest was saying. You actually almost have to. No, you have to. You can't be afraid to fail. And, and we've always been sort of jump and build our wings on the way down type humans. And I think you just have to have that nature where who defines what a failure is. I mean, we never really uh, prescribed what other people uh, said about us. So I think at the time, there was a an opportunity to really take a very, very clear position. My brother was a documentary maker. He'd um, made an award-winning uh, documentary, Sundance and um, Independent Spirit Awards docu you know, documentaries that were very well respected. Was in Iraq and Afghanistan doing a documentary on force recon on, on the height of the Iraqi war. The Department of Defense pulled the footage because Abu Ghraib had happened and they didn't want to have uh, civilians taking pictures of military and compromising situations. He came down to Florida and it was really a love affair, really. We, we love each other because we're brothers, but did we like each other as adults? Could we work together? He was transitioning from being on the front line in Iraq and losing the film. And, and uh, I said, why don't we go and look at olives? And we thought it was going to take us three or four months. There are 700 varieties of cultivatable olives on the planet. And we spent the next two years looking at nearly 230 varieties of olives and, and, and literally just told the story. And I think it was great what Wendy was saying before, if you're a Mexican restaurant, don't start making lasagna and really listen. We really listened. Uh, we really um, just told our story and it was either going to resonate with people or it wasn't, but you have to bring your most authentic self to the party. What does Oscar Wilde say? Be yourself because everybody else is already taken. And so we just brought ourselves with a, with a jar jars full of olives and we said we'd like to be part of the story you guys are telling with your drinks we think we can elevate the guest experience will you give us a shot and, and luckily enough people were ah yes and then this lovely man came into my life and brought me this <laughs> yeah thank you and oh. an all natural amarina cherry from northern italy and we slow cook them in copper uh, we're, we're the only garnish company that cooks cherries in copper pots. People use stainless steel, um, copper, as Wendy would know, antimicrobial. So, and it transfers heat in a different way. So, um, look, we, we take four months to ferment the olives instead of four days with chemicals. We take the time uh, to, to, to cure and, and make the uh, cherries in that way because we believe that the people that are paying money to elevate their cocktail experience deserve it. You work bloody hard, go into a wonderful restaurant, like Wendy, you go, hello, mate, look at you, hey, how are you? Hi, Jet. Hey, how are you? They said hi. That's a nice surprise. Hello. I know. Oh, so, so, yeah, you know, you want to be, you, you want to be part of, of being kind to people, and I think we could do that in the details, and that's it. I want to ask both of you about, um, the notion of irresistible. When you're innovating, you have to actually innovate to excellent and beyond. You can't innovate and, and be consistent in that notion of innovation and end up with something mediocre. Wendy, as an Iron Chef Award winner and as a successful longtime entrepreneur, you understand what it is to drive towards that notion of irresistible. Obviously, that's what filthy products have become. Can you each talk about that notion of when you're making something, how essential it is to get 
to that place and how that stays as part of your process, your drive, your your target? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think as entrepreneurs and as business owners, and I'm sure Daniel is the same way, we're all perfectionists. <laughs> we're the hardest on ourselves. Uh, but yeah, I'm always going to strive for something that's better than what I think I can do. If something, if we, and we test things all the time, I have just as many, I would call it the Pinterest fail day. I mean, we have days where things just do not work and that's okay. Cause like Daniel said, that's how you learn. And, and that's the only way you can learn. So yeah, every time we're making something different, we're striving to make sure it is the best. And we might bring my crew together and we taste things and what could we do different? And what do you think if we did this or is it perfect how it is? So yeah, I mean, and we, I am friends here in town with a lot of different chefs and that helps keep it alive and going, but right. absolutely. There's always a strive for the best of what we can do. Um, I really like what Daniel said, you know, being a part of someone's story, I want to be remembered in that story. I don't want to be forgotten. So it has to be something they're going to remember. Is there something that being a ghost operation, I'm going to use that word again, because it was kind of the driver of the start of the segment where you're really a to-go operation and a kitchen with a means of delivering food and of people coming in grab and go food. Is there something that you're able to do as a ghost kitchen that you couldn't do otherwise? Yeah, I think we get to, uh, we get to make a lot of different dishes uh, with our ghost kitchen and we get to play, so to speak, uh, especially with a lot of the food shortages in the beginning of this and in the middle of this, it was more of, I would call to make an order and they're like, nope, we're out of half what you want. And I'm like, all right, what do you have? And so it was almost like mystery basket every other day. Yeah. What are we going to make? Um, and people have just been really open to trying different things and having new foods. And my staff has gotten to play with different things. And it's just been, it's been a lot of fun, honestly. That's so cool. And you've been really successful at doing it. Before we wrap up, you guys, I know we don't have much time left. Wait, let me ask a question to Wendy. Oh, Jennifer. yeah. Wendy, do you deliver through the services or how do you do that? We do, do a lot of we do a lot of our own deliveries, and then uh, we also use – we do have a couple of the big corporation ones, and then there's actually a new uh, local company started here in Tucson that's doing food deliveries uh, for a much lower commission rate and a much – That's, um, that's where I was going. That was my question because what, I've seen all over social media plug. people are posting their statements now. Yes. And they're saying if you're, spend, if you're making a 1000 bucks, you're only getting $400 of that. Yes. And that's a scary thought because there's no people will think it's successful, but it's not. That's that's no. loss. No. And there's even stories coming out of DoorDash changing a phone number on Yelp to make it go to a DoorDash order. So, I heard that they that. Can order. so there's a lot of things going on with that that we need to all as a, as a culture look at. Um, but we have a local company here uh, called Foodie Magoo. He's starting up and he's providing a lot more service for a lot less. He's only taking uh he provides all the service, all the tech support for, for free. Um, and he's taking a 10% commission, but he's also doing like the first 60 days for free. So, wow. it's, it, you know, there's a big difference and hopefully we'll find more companies like this because some of the bigger ones are just, it's hard to do business. No, but we can't, we can't get mad at them. It's, it, it's business, right? It's their business. It's our business. It's if they choose how to do their business, yeah. we can choose who to work with. Absolutely. Simple as that. 
right, I'm not mad at them. I don't fault them in any way. I, you know, I kind of wish I had created it. <laughs> so, you know, but um, I mean, I, I've seen your van. You got a van out there. I mean, you can do it, but the, the fact is to do it and do it well, you have to have that same kind of passion and pursuit and dedication to it that you guys have with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Daniel, we were going to ask you on the topic, irresistible and, and how important that is to hold as your standard, what you're aiming for. When you set out to innovate, did you set out to innovate or did you set out to improve or did you set out to disrupt? I mean, that's essentially what you guys are both doing, but did you set out to do that? Did you intend to disrupt? I, I think for us, it's it's where do you find joy first and foremost? So for me, I always found joy in the space between the noise. It was never about the broad stroke. It, it was the fine line. And so in looking at hospitality at that time and being incredibly present, it was evident that bars that were trying to do something beautiful had to compromise in big gallons of olives that were turning rancid before they would go through them. And maybe thousands of people had seen that happening, millions of people, but we just said, we can do something about it. And there's another quote, which is, to better understand entrepreneurs, you should study juvenile delinquents, right? Which is basically like, you have to have a certain energy, which means you want to break stuff and smash things up. And so in a way, in seeing that, you have to bring an energy that says, I can do something about it, I can do something better. And then, as Wendy was saying, it's that relentlessness, isn't it? It's, it's not settling. Mediocrity is death. Let's just keep going because your name's on it. So you have to own it in the end. And, and um, at the end of the day, that's all you have, your name. So if you're going to do something, do something beautiful for you. And if other people like that, then that not that wonderful? So that's, that's what we did. You know, how? talk a little bit about the response that you got when you launched products into the, mm. um, into the cocktail marketplace. Because all of a sudden, your efforts and products were on par and peer with the highest quality ingredients. And it was as if all of a sudden, eliminating what would have previously just been check the box quality ingredients mm. really became a full color to paint with, uh, another flavor to make a flavor chord with. Uh, it, it was a really revolutionary moment for for the people who are at that level doing those things well i think i think social media is, is social media. yes exactly it is I get. it's like social media life if you don't have anything interesting to say then just shut up like just yeah. don't say anything right so so i think for us at the time we weren't going to say anything unless we felt like we could really contribute to the landscape unless we felt like we could bring something that could actually elevate and and bring joy and and, and, a, and a better experience and so at the time as long as you own that in, in in the truth no bs no compromising we never compromised anyway we've never compromised with quality as long as we can bring that and we can own it people are gonna challenge apply pressure but you come from a place of such credibility like i said you know we didn't just walk around Whole Foods and pick an olive and then put our label on it. We spent two years looking at 230 varieties of cultivatable olives. We went everywhere. So at that point, you know, I have conversations with people that say, I like this olive and I like that olive without really understanding why or the landscape. And that's the beginning of a conversation. And so I think we can just bring um, 
bring ultimately something that we believe people deserve. Hospitality is about, it's about kindness. It's about taking care of people. It's about doing nice things for them in, in areas where they may not always notice, but we believe they'll feel it. And so we can bring something that is definitely going to contribute to them having a, a wonderful experience, whether they know it's us or not. And, uh, and that gives us a lot of pleasure. And um, people have been kind enough to tell our story. So, yeah, we, we love this industry and we're very grateful to be a part of it. And this is why I love you. I love you. I love that you say this. I love that you bring the words and the intention to this message that we share, that we've shared for a very long time. Yeah. And this reminds me, uh, between our conversations, it's far too long. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, I love it. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it's so lovely to see you as well. And I watched your show yesterday or the other day, you're Michael with Elizabeth Blau, who I'm a massive fan of. And and uh, you know, you're 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 raising awareness for what, what everybody's trying to do. And so thank you so much for giving us all the opportunity to have a chat and and, uh, and raise awareness for for the efforts that we're making and and the things that we're trying to do to contribute. So thank you. Jennifer, let's feature both of them in the magazine so we can get more. Because I feel like I feel like the baby stole the show. Well, that's a great baby, and I love, I love it. That is, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I love it. We love Jed. You know, but I, I honestly think that they should be featured in the magazine for 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 really worthwhile reasons. Not the least of which is, as you've come to see, when we say that these people that come on with us are our friends in the business, aren't you proud to say? I'm so proud to introduce you to these amazing people who happen to be my friends in the business. This is why we love this business. These are the kinds of people that make me love being in this business. Thank you. Thank you. Wendy, I, I've got to come back. We're going to wrap uh, uh, this all up and I want to wrap it up with you. You know, when, when we were talking about that notion of irresistible and Daniel was talking about how it has to have a certain uncompromising quality to it. And that's certainly something I've seen in your work. Um, and it, it comes down to this notion, this essential notion of intention. Can you speak, because we've talked about inspiration today, we've talked about innovation, but we didn't talk as much about intention. And when we look at the success that you had in persevering the idea of opening a restaurant without any seats and tables because you had a cuisine that was so extraordinary that it was, that it was, it, that it deserved its own place, but that you had the, the inspiration to give a home to your intention to welcome your guests, to provide them the highest quality without even knowing that this moment of COVID was going to come when we really needed you. Would you talk a little bit about intention? I think, um, you know, yeah. kind of like what da Daniel said, if you do what you love uh, and you love what you do, uh, knowing no matter what naysayers say, what your intention, what you want, what you see happening is going to happen. And so my intention was to, again, over the years, everything evolves, changes. I kept listening to my clients, listening to what they wanted, and I knew it would, it would work. Um, and, and I knew just like you said at Iron Chef, I had this calm feeling like this is my night. It was, it was your night when this started happening and things kind of started to fall into place. And of course there was tons of bumps in the road. Please don't think it was easy. Um, 
but I knew it was going to work. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to be great. And I knew it was the next step for us. And so my intention was there and I knew whatever ha- came up, we were going to get it through it. We were going to have a, get through that hurdle. And I have an amazing team who has been there through thick and thin that I could not have done it without. So uh, yeah, it's, it's just something that you, you know, you're, you're dedicated and committed and, and that's how it's going to happen. Well, we want to say thank you to uh, you both for coming and having this conversation about innovation today and how in this COVID moment, when we're all imagining the future of our food and beverage world, you've given us a glimpse into what it takes to be both inspired and innovative and at the core of it, doing so with the intentions that you both have articulated so lovely today and brought to life in such a delicious irresistible way thank you so much thank you it's so great yeah. to be here. thanks guys thanks for thank uh way, michael we've got to say filthy foods can be found coast to coast and ordered online let's i have to give them a plug because my hope is that my friends that are watching will order filthy cherries have them at their house and have them available for me and my kid when we come over I'd like. I would like some filthy cherries. Oh my I'll god! Send you guys. You're so I'll send good. All of you some filthy. Absolutely. We'll be ordering some as soon as we get off this. <laughs> <laughs> They're so yeah. good. They're insanely good. Where can uh, we get them, Daniel? Um, we are doing lots of stuff, obviously, on on filthyfood.com. That's where we're living right now. We we had this great opportunity. We got into a conversation with uh, Delta Airlines about a year and a half ago, and they challenged us to do a package. There was no weight, no waste, and 100% recyclable that they could give an elevated uh, cocktail experience to guests at 36,000 feet. So we launched these things called the Filthy Singles, which are individually wrapped garnishes, 100% recyclable. And now, obviously, with the with uh, COVID, we're doing a lot of to-go cocktails and making that part of everybody's experience. And uh, so we say, keep your dirty hands off my filthy garnishes. <laughs> keep your dirty hands off my filthy garnishes. And by the way, Michael, what I love most about those, if I was making you a martini yes. and you wanted your olive and I gave you the choice of the olive coming out of that dirty plastic bin at the end of the bar or one of those, which one are you going to take? The dirty bin. <laughs> Build up your immune system. Absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> Always go for the dirty bin and the peanuts on the bar. Why not? Why not? You guys, thank you so much. Lovely to see you. you. Wendy, nice meeting you. All the best. Continued success to you. All the best, guys. Okay. All right, let's get rid of that. Very nice people. Very nice. Did I steal the show with the baby? Did the baby steal the show? Did the baby steal the show? Kinda. He's awesome though. What can I do? I know. Hey, listen. Yes. Innovation is taking place everywhere. And I think you're absolutely one of those pioneering people. How do you address innovation and finding a new category or room for your concept in your brand new book, the Food and Beverage Magazine Guide to Restaurant Success? How do you address figuring out, is there room you, for what are you I plugging do? The, are you plugging the new book? I love that you're plugging the new book. Thank no, I'm you. asking a legitimate question. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Cut your plug in the book. <laughs> no, but seriously, how yeah. do you how do you address how do you address the question of uh, is I there? I think what I think what Ra- 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 said. I think you cannot be scared. You need to be innovative. 
You need to believe in your ideas, believe in what you want, and you need to go for it. Yeah. Right. But you've got to also be smart about it. Right. Like with what Wendy's doing, it's I mean, I've wanted to do that in Vegas and go into some ghost. I almost did it three months ago. Thank God I didn't. I'd open up like four or five concepts and knock it out of the ballpark and say, oh, we can serve to everybody in the hotels. Guess what would have happened? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. The hotels are empty. It would have been horrible. So, you know, there's a lot of things out there. And I think it's a great way. And I even talk about it. I think it's a great, everyone needs to talk about food trucks, food trucks, food trucks. I don't know anyone that's made any money off of a food truck. I know a lot of people that have lost money on food trucks, right? But I think with what Wendy's doing and what others are doing with this stuff, it's like be innovative. It doesn't cost you anything. Be innovative. Make up a new concept. Call it Mama Jennifer English. I just thought of a joke you told me yesterday. Call it Mrs. <laughs> call it Mrs. Mrs. English's. Call it Mrs. English's meatballs, right? <laughs> and uh, and then if nobody buys them, guess what? Now you're going to be called Mr. Tucson's meatball sandwiches. And then yeah. if that doesn't work, you come in, you know, you do cheesesteaks. And, and you just keep moving and moving and moving and moving. And all you're costing yourself is a little time and marketing. And if you do it right, it doesn't cost you that much because you can brand it on social media. A few hundred dollars here. Keep, cheap, keep, cheap, keep changing your concepts, right? But you can't be afraid to do that, Right. You can't be afraid to say, hey, this sucks. No one's buying it. I'm taking it off the menu. I don't care if my grandma gets mad because no one eats her spaghetti sauce. Well, it, that's I mean, just the way it is. What's really interesting to me is Food and Beverage Magazine has 12 million readers a month. And they Correct. turn the yeah, page of, for like, you're their friend in the business, but you give them all this really good information. It's like having a consultant come in and share best practices. Well, we do that all day long, Jennifer, and people sometimes don't take our advice because they know better than us, right? We've seen thousands of failures, thousands of successes, right? right? More failures than successes, but they know better than us. Not, they don't know better than us. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to change someone's business, but we're here to help. We're here to give them information so they can make an educated guess on what they need and what they want to do. Well, if, if anything has shown us, that no matter how sure a thing can be, that uncertainty is still one of those factors that we can't measure, predict, or even prepare for, other than to just be us and to just do what we do. It's this time, this COVID moment. How have you and the Food and Beverage Magazine team seen the impact from what you're, you know, Wendy was saying, I listen to my customers. I listen to what they ask for. Daniel said the same thing. I, I'm listening to my customers. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give these remarkable new mixologists a, a better quality ingredient. How are we listening to what it is people want? And what are you doing in the pages of Food and Beverage Magazine to, that listens to the, to the reader, to the client? The, well, we're, 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 we're posting content and editorial every 10 minutes, pretty much. I mean, we're all over the place right now. We can't yeah. stop. Things are changing. We've got to give them advice. They're turning to us. We have 19,000 people an hour coming to our website looking for advice. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive, right? So I'm just force feeding. I'm fire hosing as much information out as I can under different restaurant categories, right? Fast, casual, quick yeah. service, because everyone's going to have a different answer. Right. Everyone's going to have different success stories. So we're blowing yep. the success stories out all day long. And hopefully somebody can look, click and it meshes and they can take and use those concepts for themselves. So, so I, I wasn't going to I, I wasn't going to talk about this today. I wasn't going to disclose this because I wasn't sure I felt about it. So there's this movement 
called Too Soon Tucson. And like many places around the country, there are these competing interests. I've got to open, but is it too soon? Yes, and, too soon. And the governor's saying, open, open, open. And the mayor is saying, too soon, too soon. But well, there are- let me say this before we even continue. The only reason to open right now is to keep people working. And I'm not even, it's not to make a profit. So if you're planning on opening to make a profit, don't bother. But if you're planning on opening to break even and have everybody working together as a team with the same goals in yeah. mind, do it. Then do it. Then there's, do it. One, there's one other small category. What would that be? Where the institution or the food, the restaurant, the diner. I don't, I don't like to use the word institution. Home, sweet home. Uh, there are places that are so important in mm-hmm. the food security of certain populations that they are more than just a restaurant. They're not a, I go there once a yeah, week of or for special occasions. There are diners and local restaurants that are literally the only place that some people get their it, bars, it, pubs, the and children, The way that school children might get their meals at school. Of course. Some people have like one or two places they go, and that's where they get their food. I agree. And they need to be safe. And they need to be safe. So, and they're beloved because right. those are the kinds of places where you're a regular, they know you by name. The staff doesn't tend to turn over at those kinds of places very often. I mean, there's a real culture that grows I up. Think that you've just, I think you just created a TV show. I think we should maybe film it in Boston. How about calling it Cheers? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, so, so I actually, I went to one of these places today. Mm-hmm. And I sat down at the counter. Mm-hmm. And I was had some soup. And I had some soup. How did you know? And I was easily six feet away from my, but I want to point out like, like all great diners, they have their booths and they rigged a system of clear sheeting, like a, like a, like a shower curtain or some other kind of plastic sheeting. It was more heavy duty than a shower curtain. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. In between the booths, mm-hmm. in between the aisles. Very, the- inf- very uncomfortable and non-welcoming. No. No, I I expected that was what it was going to be, and well, that's I'll not what it was at all. You could see people. The room, the room was the room. It was it was hyper clean. But this is a place that I go because nothing's ever sticky. Okay, right. they're really meticulous about cleaning everything. But they've been around for sixty years. Right. They do a great job of the most humble food, but it's it's elevated in it's delicious yep and it's just it's hard to do what they do that well and i went and, you, and i was and you enjoyed yourself did you enjoy yourself everyone on the service team had a mask everyone in the back of the house had a mask everybody i came in contact with have now you can't wear a mask when you're eating and drinking so you have to be far enough apart that you can take the mask off Correct. and do your thing right before I went, I had a long conversation because I am uh, one of those people with an underlying condition that makes me more susceptible. I said, is this a risk that you're willing to take? And I came down to this, Michael. <clears throat> yes. Is it a risk that I am <clears throat> willing to take 
because I'm also willing to go and ask the question in public on the air, should we or go or shouldn't, unless I was willing to go and experience what we're talking about. I didn't feel like being a hypocrite and say, yeah, well, well, you go decide that. I'm just thank you for going because I'm not willing to take the risk right now. Yeah. And, and I did so at the safest place I could think of. Great. And I did that very specifically. And I, you know, I washed my hands and I did the, the stuff at the counter and then the rest of it. Two things really struck me. Now, yes, I was a regular at this restaurant long, long time. It was where I spent my 50th birthday eating their perfect fried Jennifer, nobody need to know. They, it's where you spent your 20th birthday. Go ahead. It's a place I was a regular. Right. I know the menu. I know the food. They know me. I was unprepared for two things that happened today. I was unprepared for how emotional I was going to feel being in a restaurant. It overwhelmed me in a way I was unprepared for. Yes, I'm in the food business. Yes, I talk about food with passion and, and I talk about it with people that have passion in the food business. We do it professionally. I've been doing it for 20 years. It's been a lifelong love of mine, but I was not prepared for how emotionally much I have missed it. I've gotten food to go. I've wandered in, but this was different. And I wow. was powerfully impacted. Well, let's do a show on that. We are. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this one up because we're way an hour and fifteen minutes. We've lost we've lost what viewers. Hello, we viewers. But viewers, I, are you out there? Are you out there? But I have to tell you the second thing that was really powerful about this. Yes. The team that was there really reminded me of how important it is for us to all play that role in the life of these places that make up the culture and the community we live in. Agreed. These are our shared public spaces. Target is not that space. Costco is not that space. Even if you get a hot dog at Costco that you love, that's not that space. Grocery stores are not that space. Parks, those are not that space. These are very specific places. These are those places. These are the restaurants that make up our world. It, it can't be overstated how important that is. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. All right. So we got a show coming up when? Friday? No, tomorrow. We got a big show tomorrow. Oh, God. Big, big show tomorrow. Great. And yes. I'll remind you this. Hug your kids and count your blessings. Thank you, Jennifer. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.